Welcome back to another edition of Wilderness Wanderings. I am your host, David Nolan, and if you've been following us for the last few weeks, we have been studying in 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah is hiding out in the wilderness of sin from the death threats of Queen Jezebel after God's victory at Mount Carmel. Over 40 days, God has reminded Elijah of his provision, his perseverance, power, and his presence. And today we're going to discuss the reminder of God's hand of protection over his chosen people. Now remember, Elijah is currently hiding out in a cave on Mount Sinai, which is hundreds of miles south of Israel on the Sinai Peninsula. And he is despondent, depressed, and wanting to die. In 1 Kings 19, verses 15 and 16, God's word says, And the Lord said to him, Go. And return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, which, by the way, is north of Israel. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Now, as you may recall from our earlier study, God has already demonstrated his protection of Elijah during the three-and-a-half-year drought. He protected him at the brook Cherith immediately after he prophesied the drought, knowing that Ahab and Jezebel would want to kill him for attacking the very heart of their pagan fertility cult by withholding rain. He then protected Elijah in Phoenicia with the widow of Zarephath and her son, allowing them to be fed from a handful of flour and oil through the entirety of the drought. He protected Elijah at Mount Carmel when his own reputation was put on the line in front of the entire nation and delivered on his promises to end the drought in his declared time, bringing an apparent end to the fertility cult of Baal and Asherah by killing all 850 prophets and priests that were present at the challenge. Now, God tells Elijah to go to a hostile foreign nation and anoint a new king over Syria. Interestingly, Elijah would have to go through Israel to get to Syria. Go and return your way to Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. Hazael would be the king of Aram who would eventually kill Ahab in battle at Ramoth-Gilead. And you can follow that event in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 29 through 40. The story of Hazael's victory over Israel is also told in what is known as the Tel Dan Steel, which he erected as a monument to his victories over Israel and Judah. And pieces of this monument are on display today in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. But God doesn't stop there. Elijah has also ordered to go to Jehu, son of Nimshi, who is actually the grandson through Jehoshaphat, and anoint him as king over Israel. Jehu would go on to end the rest of the reign of Ahab's family over Israel, including getting rid of Jezebel, which is described in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. 
However, it is not Elijah that ends up fulfilling these divine appointments, but it is Elisha, his successor, who will ultimately anoint Hazael and Jehu in accordance with God's command. However, none of this would have come to fruition if Elijah and Elisha hadn't been obedient to God's word. During my senior year of high school, I was assigned a task of writing a book report on the topic of the survival of the human spirit. I had to choose three books for this paper that covered the theme. One of these books was written by a woman who would go on to become one of my personal spiritual heroes. It tells the story of a watchmaker and his family in Amsterdam, Holland, during the Nazi occupation of World War II. The family went to great lengths to hide and protect the persecuted Jews in a small room in their attic until one day the family was betrayed and they were arrested and sent to a concentration camp. The family's lone survivor of the horror of the Nazis' final solution to the Jewish question was released due to an apparent quote-unquote clerical error one week before all women her age were scheduled to be killed in Ravensbrück prison. Out of this trial, she would go on to proclaim this message around the world, that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. You may have read this book yourself, or even seen the film The Hiding Place, and her name was Corrie Ten Boom. Another of the books from that report that I used was The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. The diary chronicled the musings of a teenage girl as she and her family hid in their own attic during the same Nazi occupation of Holland until they were also discovered and Anne experienced two of the most notorious Nazi prison camps ever known, Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, where they died, most likely, from typhus. While she did not physically survive the horrors of the concentration camps, her spirit lives on in her writing. One of my favorite quotes reflects the wisdom that extended far beyond her youth. The best remedy for those who are afraid, lonely, or unhappy is to go outside, somewhere where they can be quite alone with the heavens nature, and God. God's protection is often physical, and I've experienced his physical protection over my life more times than I care to count. I'm alive today because of so many events that at the time I saw as inconveniences and distractions were in fact God's delays that kept me from ending up in the midst of danger or even dead. But God's protection isn't always physical. He will sometimes allow physical destruction to come as a means of discipline, but preserve a legacy that brings him glory in the midst of your trial as he welcomes you home into his arms. The events of this life aren't always pretty. In fact, life is pretty messy, and it can get very ugly. The truth of the matter is that there are few places in this world today that that is not evident. In spite of our fears over pandemics, our irritations with politics, our anger with injustice, and our frustrations with isolation, 
he still protects his bride. And he still protects what is his for his purposes. In 2018, to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary, I took my bride Sarah on a trip to Italy. We visited Rome, Vatican City, La Spezia, Florence, and Venice over the course of two weeks. While in Rome, on our way to the Vatican, we stopped on the Ponte Vittorio Emmanuel II Bridge, which is across the Tiber River, and we took some pictures. The bridge was designed by Ennio de Rossi in 1886 and built in 1911. There are four statues that line the sides of the bridge. All were allegorically designed. My favorite of the four is called Oppressed Conquered. It is the figure of a Roman soldier with his arms spread wide. He is holding an upraised sword in his right hand and a shield in his left. Beneath the sword is the image of a naked man cowering in fear, and beneath the shield is a man, woman, and child standing under the protection of the soldier. Considering the placement of this statue, I imagine the soldier is intended to be an allegorical depiction of the role of a soldier and the Italian state played in the life of the Roman citizenry. One, to drive out the enemies and execute justice on the right hand, and to protect the citizens and their families on the left. I imagine its placement on this bridge, as it faces St. Peter's Basilica, is also subtly intended to highlight the role of the church. This role of the Roman soldier is now transferred to the church to protect the bride of Christ from the enemies of God and to execute justice in accordance with the word of God. There are many times in our lives that we do not know how we are going to survive the situations we find ourselves in. Most are not nearly as life-threatening as a Nazi concentration camp or even the political threats of a foreign pagan queen. Your marriage may come under attack from any number of competing interests, such as jobs, flirtations, temptations, and so forth. God can and will protect your marriage so long as you remain obedient to his word. Your job may come under attack because of your stand for personal integrity in the workplace, temptations to steal, cutting corners on tasks, using fuzzy math to cook the books for the sake of shareholder confidence. God will protect you for taking a stand for his truth in the midst of such a stand for him. You may even lose your job in such a circumstance, but God will reward your faithfulness. Perhaps that job wasn't where you were supposed to be if you lost your job because you did the right thing and not compromising your integrity. Perhaps as a student, you're pressured to allow other students to cheat on your exam or do their work for them. You may even suffer ridicule for your stand in the face of that adversity, but God will protect you for your stand and your integrity will be rewarded. If you were to take an honest assessment of your life, do you find yourself making decisions based on fear 
or based on trust in God who sees beyond your fears. It has been said that there are 365 times in the scriptures that God tells his children, do not be afraid. But most importantly, it is always coupled with the command to trust his word. I am reminded of an incident when my wife was pulled over for an alleged running a red light at a busy intersection in a suburban area of San Antonio. Our daughter Heather was in the car with her, and even at her young age, she knew that her mother had not run the red light she was ticketed for. Sarah couldn't believe it herself and nearly resigned herself to just appearing in court and paying the fine. But after much agonizing and encouragement, she took a stand for truth and stood before the judge to plead her case. The officer in the case was unable to identify Sarah as the driver in the case. The judge noticed this omission, and without Sarah having to say even a word, the judge dismissed the case. All she had to do was stand in faith, knowing that she was justified. One day, we will all stand before the great judge and answer for how we have lived our lives in this world. The adversary will hurl all kinds of accusations of moral failures against the word of God that we have committed. We will be without excuse, and all the evidence will be presented and irrefutable. However, we will not even have to plea our own case, because Christ himself will speak on our behalf and declare that his blood paid the price for all our sins, justified by our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. As a result, we will not be ushered into a gas chamber, but rather into the presence of God Almighty himself. No train tracks will lead us to a burning furnace, but rather a street paved with gold will lead us to a mansion within the house of God where we will all live forever. I hope this message has inspired you today. For more encouragement, please check out my blog at wildernesswanderings.org. And if you wish to support this broadcast, please review our sponsors. A portion of every purchase you make through them will go to support local charities and ministries in the Austin, Texas metro area. Until next time, this is David Nolan, reminding you to keep your eyes turned to the sun and always wonder through the grace and wonder of God's great love. Have a great day. Thank you.